listening to the Five Points Church Planting Podcast, where two church planters try to make one good point. My name is Reed, and I'm the intern pushing all the buttons. We're continuing our Church Planting 101 series today with Phase 4, Becoming an Established Church. With us today is Matt Grimsley. Matt just went through this process with Resurrection Church in Madison, Wisconsin, where he is the pastor. He's also a dedicated Atlanta Braves fan from his childhood growing up in South Carolina, which means that you can trust what he has to say. So let's get to it. Hunter, how are you doing today? John, I'm, I'm doing great, and I have a toboggan on my head in honor of you in Fargo, a Memphis Grizzlies, as you would call it, beanie. Yeah, I don't know how you balance that big wooden sled on your head all the time, <laughs> or what the purpose would be, but apparently our guest today also is aware of this controversy. He hails from the South, but now he is in the glorious North uh, in Wisconsin, and he's joining us today. Matt Grimsley is the pastor at Resurrection Madison, and uh, they just recently have kind of particularized. They have been there for some time. We'll hear about him. M- Matt, welcome to the show. Hey, great to be here. Thanks for having me. Yeah, no, it's great to have you on. We, uh, we're we in a series on the phases of church planting, and we've talked about uh, what it means to prepare and gather uh, grow, launch, begin worship, uh, you know, really kind of get the wheels turning on a church. But ultimately, we're headed towards this thing that we like to call in the Presbyterian world, particularization. I don't know how many syllables it is, but it is a mouthful. Uh, but we're going to go ahead and just kind of talk about that as the process in which we are establishing a church where it has its own local leaders, it has its own budget that it can cover with its own giving. It's becoming not under the oversight of some sort of, you know, care of another congregation or outside mission support, but it's really becoming its own entity, uh, becoming established or particularized, as we like to call. So anyways, um, we always like to have people in that have recently gone through that. Now I'm the, I'm the newbie on the, on the pod here. So I, I've not particularized a church. We, uh, we were a few years out from that. Hunter has gone through the process once, and, and now that uh, we have a recent particularized pastor here, uh, hopefully we can be of some help for people to think about what that process might look like. So, uh, Matt, why don't you just start by telling us a little bit about yourself, where you're from, and uh, how you got to Madison, Wisconsin. Yeah, sure thing. As you said, I, I hail from the South, uh, born and raised uh, in South Carolina. Um, Went to college in East Tennessee at a small liberal arts school called Carson Newman. It's now Carson Newman University. It was Car- Carson Newman College back when I went. Um, seminary at RTS Orlando, Reformed Theological Seminary in Orlando. And then I was in Knoxville, Tennessee for 11 years as an associate pastor slash worship leader. And um, I went to Knoxville because I was, uh, I-, I caught the church planting bug in seminary. You know, they, uh, they throw lots of things at you in the seminary halls. And uh, I feel like uh, I came home, you know, every other week wanting to do something else and threw that at my wife. And she was like, we're doing what? You know, one, one point we were going to be overseas missionaries. Another point we were going to be the first martyrs in RTS history. You know, <laughs> I, got, I got excited about lots of things. But um, one of the things that stuck was church planting. Mm. Um, because one, I, it, I think it fits my wiring. I've always liked to start things and kind of have an entrepreneurial nature. Mm-hmm. You know, you're at, you're at seminary, you're learning all these great things. You're trying to figure out how you want to spend your short life huh, for the kingdom of God. And, uh, and starting things seemed like a good idea to actually be able to start 
institutions that, you know, by the grace of God might outlive us. Yeah. You know? And, uh, and bear fruit for the kingdom of God for generations to come. So I was really interested in church planning, but I was 25. And so I knew I needed to go learn, went to Knoxville to learn under Paul Hahn, who was the planting his second church. Um, and, uh, he was a great mentor and, and someone to learn under and just, anyway, got, uh, Got tons of uh, training and apprenticeship there. And then when it came time for us, when we were beginning to feel called towards church planting, um, we went through the assessment process, which I'm sure you guys have talked about uh, at some point on here. Um, and got the green light. And we just, uh, we loved university towns. We love kind of mid-sized urban. We love being partnered with our denomination's campus ministry, RUF. And mm -hmm. so uh, we were looking for something like that, but in a place that needed churches that had little gospel witness, little gospel presence, and um, got asked to take a look at Madison, Wisconsin, and we came up, fell in love with it, and, and here we are. Yeah, that's good. I, I, I love what's going on in Wisconsin. We'll have to do a whole episode on the church plant network that they've really birthed. Uh, but, you know, Madison being the capital city of Wisconsin and a uh, university town. And it seems to probably some people outside of our region that it, it, they might not have even heard of Madison unless they're into, you know, college sports, but um, that's, it's kind of the cultural center of the elite, I guess, in, in Wisconsin. You know, if you think of Wisconsin as rural and maybe largely conservative uh, Madison's opposite, right? So um, <laughs> yeah. You know, a great strategic place to have a church and a university um, outreach happening together. Yeah. Matt, tell us about, you know, the focus of this episode is about particularization, establishing your church, having public worship, um, becoming your own entity, if you will. But tell us about the early days of resurrection and what that was like for you. Yeah. So um, uh, uh, as John said, this is, um, Madison was one of the kind of still frontier areas for the PCA, at least. Um, I mean, it's a city of 250,000 people and we didn't have a, uh, I would say an English speaking uh, PCA church within the city limits. Um, and, you know, and you got this flagship campus, uh, UW-Madison uh, with 43,000 students. I mean, it's just, uh, it, it, was, it was just a ripe and strategic place. Um, but it was because of, um, because of uh, the nature of it being kind of a frontier area, this was kind of a scratch church plant. It was kind of the old school move here, start meeting people. <laughs> so we were, we were supported by our denominational agencies. RUF was behind us. m and was behind us. Um, but uh, there was no, there was no mother church. There was no uh, pre-gathered core group or anything. So it was kind of the, uh, it's kind of the old school way. Move to town, start meeting people, um, which is, wild <laughs> to say the least uh but man but you also get a, a front row seat to watch god um work and and do some amazing things so, so yeah so we moved here with a campus minister ruf campus minister we were uh that's, his name is danny hyman uh, we were partnered together and and worked hand in hand but he was really focused on starting ruf at the university of wisconsin and i was focused on gathering a core group so the first thing we had to do was get some interested Christians, you know, some, yeah. some Christians that didn't have a church. Um, and, uh, and that were drawn to our mission. Uh, we can't, our, we, are, we had a passion to reach 
skeptics and non-Christians and de-church people, but you can't reach um, non-Christians with non-Christians. Like we need some Christians that will buy into the vision. So we just, I chased every lead. Anybody who told me, you know, I got a, my, I got a, my aunt's cousin's friend lives in Madison, you know, um, I asked anybody that would, that had a heartbeat. I'll receive uh, that referral. <laughs> uh, we went to lunch, we went to coffee and, you know, figured out, um, pretty on, we had a, we had a, a gift here in Madison, which is a company called Epic. Uh, I don't know if you've hmm. uh, familiar with Epic it's computer software systems. They have a huge uh, campus right outside Madison employs over 10,000 people. And their bread and butter is bringing recent college grads to Madison from all over the country. And so, you know, in a city where the PCA doesn't have any name brand recognition, nobody knows what the PCA is or RUF or any of that stuff. Epic was bringing in recent college grads who did RUF an undergrad or mm-hmm. who went to a PCA church. And they were some of the few people looking for us. Nice. And so we just kind of found this steady stream of, young professionals moving to the city, uh, didn't have a church and were drawn to our mission. And uh, yeah, so gathered a core group and uh, really, really this church was birthed in my living room over shared meals, sharing our lives, becoming friends and sharing a vision for what kind of church we wanted to be for the city. And yeah, it took us a few months to get about 15 to 20 people who were pretty solidly on board and interested and, and, and we kind of ran with them as our first core group. So from core group phase, right. Uh, that parachute plan I'm familiar with, um, to particularization, H- how long was that road and tell us how up and down it was. <laughs> yeah. So one of, one of the great things about, um, I, I think planting up here in our Wisconsin Presbytery, there was no, Madison is just, is known for being pretty tough soil mm. for the gospel and for the church. You know, even my, even, even my oversight committee uh, was like, there's no pressure. Like if it, you, if it takes two years to get a core group, we understand, like do this mm. the slow way, the right way, the faithful way. So again, I, I, I just had no external pressure to like yeah. create something fast. Now I had internal pressure on myself, you know, <laughs> you know, like how long can I raise money and all that stuff. Um, and so honestly, things happen quicker than we thought. Um, I, I, I assumed, uh, I was hoping to have a core group by the end of year one. And we moved here in August of 2016. Uh, by, we started having vision meetings in November of 2016. And so... <laughs> And we had met enough people in those first three months that were, that were solidly on board. And we're like, you know what? Hey, let's get together and start talking about the DNA of this church and what we want to be. And so we did, we did kind of the vision phase for November till about March of 2017. Uh, I think in March or April, we started doing a, kind of a, a public Bible study and we moved outside of my living room um, to, to a, a public place just because it was, you know, we were learning in our demographics. Not a lot of people were going to come to a strange, weird Bible study in my living room. You know, that was, <laughs> that was a hurdle too high, uh, <laughs> you know, but some sort of public gathering where we're, we're studying the Bible and talking about this church we want to create. And so 
we did the kind of public Bible study phase from March into the summer. We kept that going in the summer, but then we really transitioned into like leadership development, um, developing our ministry teams, who's going to do what, who's going to lead what, you know, the stuff you got to have to, to launch. And then we took a little bit of an educated gamble um, to launch in, uh, we launched in November, or in October of 2017. So 14 months from the day we moved here um, to when we started. And we just gathered, we, we set our metrics, you know, everybody's got their metrics, which are a little uh, lower here than they are in other places I've been. And we wanted 40 committed Christians who loved each other and loved this church, and wanted to love the city. And we got to about 30 and kind of plateaued. And, uh, and we're like, all right, we can keep waiting for another 10 or so. Um, but we also got the right people. And again, what we were learning about our city is weird in-home Bible study, even public Bible study. It's a little strange for people. But uh, because of the Catholic and Lutheran background here, people understand Sunday worship. And uh, they sneak in the back, you know, and check us out. And so we just felt like until we had that public worship thing, we just, we didn't have, we didn't have the most viable and most accessible way into our church. And so um, we took a little bit of an educated gamble to launch with 30 and, and, and it worked out. <laughs> the Lord was very kind to us. Matt, in talking to a number of church planners across the reform tradition and even outside of our circles, um, you often hear uh, calculus three level metrics for when you, you know, when you particularize, when, when you, well, not, not so much particularize, but when you start worship, having gone through this now, do you look back and realize it's more of a guessing game on some level and leaning on the Holy spirit? Yeah, definitely. I, I, I mean, I think, I, I think you ought to listen to best practices the wisdom of people that are out there they're telling you but every context is different and i think that's the beauty of church planting is you you learn your context right you learn your people you learn the story and i i, I might not next necessarily recommend that for other places but in in madison we were learning we had the right 30 people you know and and we just felt like we needed to open up the doors in a more accessible way and uh and, and it worked and so that's i think you just got to know there's no right formula. You just got to, you got to read your, your context. Hmm. So you've been worshiping then for a couple of years. What is it about the process now that you have the full orb, you know, you have Sunday worship, you probably have midweek Bible studies. You, you, you mentioned leadership development happening. When did you start thinking it's time for us to think about particularization? Uh, I think, if people haven't gone through that process or haven't considered it, they didn't realize how long sometimes it takes. It's a very long, complicated process, um, surprisingly complicated. Um, when did you start to think about that and what triggered that in your mind as kind of a, we're starting to arrive, or at least we need to start thinking about what it looks like to arrive? Yeah, that's a good question. And I, I think there's kind of multiple layers to thinking about that. I, on the one sense, um, Theologically or biblically, especially in our tradition, I feel like particularization is on your mind from the beginning because that seems to be like the goal. Yeah, that's the goal. And that's, and that's what makes a church a church, even in our system. And yep. 
and even in Paul's system, you know, that, that's where we're obviously taking that from is the apostle Paul didn't feel like he, you know, he had planted a church until he appointed elders in those towns and then he would go on, you know, and what makes the church churches that it has local shepherds, the local elders that are, that are committed to it, that, that a pastor could come and go. Um, a, a planter like Paul could come and go, but the elders are, are the local leaders on the ground. So that's obviously that's where you're pointing towards the whole time. Yeah. Uh, and every, based upon your prior experience, every planter probably has a number of fears or anxieties associated with that, you know? Um, but that is in our system, that's the goal. And that's, and that's how it's supposed to be right. A, a, a church, the Presbyterian church is one that is governed by a group of elders. And, uh, so that's always the goal. I think early on, um, I didn't think about it just cause we were small enough that I could reasonably pastor most people shepherd them. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I was keeping, kind of keeping the pulse on like, who's here that's like already a developing leader and clearly elder material. And again, we didn't, I don't think we had like a magic formula. It was just, we got, I guess about two years into it, we were, we were growing to the place where I was like, okay, I, I don't know everybody in this church anymore. Like we need, we need shepherding help. Um, and we uh, you know, there's, there's some men who, who had arisen who are already doing elder type things, you know, and that's, that's the best case scenario is when you can put the office on people that are already in yeah. some ways functioning in that capacity. They love people, they're shepherding them, they're caring for people, they take initiative. Um, yeah, so we just, um, I, again, I think we probably did it a little quicker than I thought uh, we would do. Um, but it just seemed right that we had, we had some emerging leaders and we needed, we needed shepherding help. And so. Yeah. So my, one of my pastoral ministry classes, I remember uh, getting what I think is really good advice. We'll see what your thoughts are. Uh, He said, um, you want to find shepherds in your congregation to be your elders. Uh, You can teach anybody doctrine, right? Uh, There might be people in your church that get the doctrine, but they're not shepherds by um, by gifting. Uh, what was that experience? You mentioned people that were kind of naturally rising up, uh, really particularization is uh, establishing that local leadership. So there's going to be some intentional training and process that you bring them through so that they can withstand an examination from a presbytery, right? We have a pretty intimidating process, I think for, uh, you know, a, a member of a church to think I have to go be examined by people that I may or may not even know. Uh, so, what did that development look like for you as you found these men in your church? Yeah, I, I think that's spot on advice. I mean, obviously we care about theology and the, the- theological component is really, is really important to us, but just cause you know, a bunch of theology doesn't mean you're an elder, right? Yeah. Um, and again, uh, the, when you hear elder, you probably think lots of things uh, <laughs> uh, in terms of like, do you mean board of directors? Do you mean decision makers? Do you mean whatever else? But in Mormon our, missionary, <laughs> that's right, that's right. but in yeah, but in our in our context, elder means shepherd. Yeah, you know? and you're right. You can develop the theological component of that, um, but that shepherd's heart you can develop that too. But that is, I think that is part of a, a natural gifting from the Holy Spirit that that people want to have a knack for caring for the body of Christ. And yeah. Yeah. So we, um, 
I, I saw some of those people emerging, encouraged them to participate in the training, but our, our initial training was open to any man in the church to come participate uh, okay. when we started it. Yeah. Did you have a, a particular focus in your training? Did you have maybe phases of theology and pastoral kind of care? Or, uh, curious to hear kind of maybe some of the particulars about that. Yeah. So when, when we, when we began the training process, so I, I guess our training process went um, for about nine months. So you're right. Okay. It is, it's an extensive kind of thing. But um, so our first thing was like, should we have an open or closed training? You know, should we just invite a, a, a certain amount of people or should we open it up? And we decided to do an open training for any, um, any interested men in the church, because we figured even if they don't go forward as elders, it'd be good to learn these things that yep. are they're really important. Um, so we just opened it up and, and, and I, man, I don't, I don't know about you guys, but I think people can feel really stressed out about this. Like you got to create the next great publishable <laughs> elder training, you know, <laughs> materials. And I was just like, man, I, I just, I don't feel like I need to recreate the wheel or, or make the next greatest thing. There's so many good materials out there. You know, I just obviously asked a bunch of friends, so what did you do? And then I decided to just make it simple, which was like, I, I created it. I made it more like kind of like a college course. Like here's your syllabus. Here's like five books I want you to get and read. And we're going to talk about those things. And, um, and so, yeah, so in our, we met, we met in the beginning, we met twice a month on Thursday mornings at this little private room in a coffee shop. And, uh, and we, we just walked through books together, things that mm -hmm. were really important to me. So we read, uh, uh, it's called the household of God, household of faith, I think by Leslie Newbigin, which is about the nature of the church. That's the first thing is like, <laughs> what is this thing? What is, what is this organization? Um, that we are thinking about giving our lives towards in leadership. And we read Playing God by Andy Crouch about the appropriate use of power and, mm. and healthy institutions. We read The Advantage by Patrick Lencioni about organizational health. And, and then we read, um, I think, The Shepherd Leader by Zitmer to get in more into the into the heart of what the office of elder is. And so, yeah, we just, it was like fundamental theological vision of like, what is the church and what does leadership in the church look like? And then on the back end of that is when we did the Westminster uh, preparation stuff. And then that's when we, then we went to weekly on Thursday mornings to walk through the Westminster confession of faith. And, and all along the way, we were just having conversations with these guys of like, Hey, what, you know, what's stirring in you? You feel called towards this? Is this more like you just want to learn and train, but aren't feeling called towards it? And yeah, so all along it was just like the, the communal piece and the discovering calling piece was, was kind of happening in between meetings. Matt, just taking a step back, you had, I'm not sure if you had elders providing oversight for you from one church or from multiple churches um, did they give you any guidance on when you should consider uh, moving towards particularization and training your own elders or did they say, or did they just leave the ball in your court? Yeah. Good question. They, um, 
Yeah. So obviously every church is always overseen by elders, whether you, whether it's in house or not. So, you know, we were overseen by elders from other churches in, in Wisconsin that were all spread out throughout the state. Um, yes. And so they were very instrumental in helping us figure out um, is now the right timing. Um, so we're, we're also unique in that we particularize without being self-sustaining financially yet. And so um so there was a, obviously a conversation of like, do you have, are you, are you at a, at a good enough percentage to pursue this? Uh, do you have the right guys? Yeah. So they were giving me some oversight on like timeline, but not as much oversight on like the content um, mm-hmm. uh, outside of the Westminster stuff, you know, when it's sure. time for presbytery testing, they, they gave us a lot of resources, but it was sure. pretty, pretty open guidance from uh, the content side to, again, local you know context like i they just trusted me to know you're going to know your people in your city and and the things you want to instill in your leaders and allow me to run with that right yeah for me it was i think in some sense we went too fast towards the process of particularization and you know as a church planter you want the church plant to be successful. You want it to be viable. You, you don't want it to fail. And so I think from the very onset, you begin to think of the day in which you will be particularized and you move in that direction. But sometimes you can make the mistake of not allowing natural elder development to 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 happen within the context of the church plant. And, you know, one of the things that in, in thinking about this and, and, and doing it a second time is I thought I had a good idea of who the elders might be, but I did not realize that the people of the church, the people who are in the core group, they need time to understand who in their midst are elder candidates. And that it's my job, and I think I really failed at this, it's my job to explain to them what an elder is on a regular basis, what a shepherd is, so that they begin to look for, they begin to look for that in men in the congregation and, you know, how they love their wife, how they serve their wife, how they love and serve their family, their character, their knowledge, so forth and so on, so that when nominations come, you know, this is well known to them. And I really think I dropped the ball on thinking that through carefully. Mm-hmm. Yeah, did you do anything uh, intentional with your congregation leading up to that process of, you know, they're going to have to vote on these men to be the elders of the church? Um, yeah, what it looked like to shepherd your congregation towards that process? Yeah, be- because we have um, we have mostly non-PCA people, and so this was a foreign concept for them. Yep. Um, so I felt like like we do pretty much with everything in the church, (laughs) we were explaining all along the way what this is, you know? So it was like, we're doing elder training. What is that? What do elders do? You know? And especially when it came time for them to think about voting and the vetting thing, uh, the opportunity they have to vet the candidates, like, yeah, we, we talked a good bit about like, this is, this is what elders do. This is what you're looking for. These are the qualifications, you know? Um, yeah, I probably, I probably could have done more of that <laughs> all along the way, but I think we did a, a, a 
we focused on it pretty intensely uh, when it came time for the congregation to like vote and participate and, and do those sorts of things. But I think you're right, man. There's, there's ways you can push it too fast for particularization and, and you, you can feel when you're probably ahead of the cart, you know, um, and, and you can wait too long, you know, uh, I've seen a lot of guys that wait too long because of past experiences or, uh, and this in our Presbyterian system, about, about the only, the greatest sense of autonomy you ever get in our system is when you're planting a church, like you're not, you're not on your, out on your own, but you have, uh, a little more freedom and, and sometimes you can enjoy that a little too long. Mm. Yeah. Um, I think I should have spent more time talking to older church planters, pastors, and asking them questions about a particularization and training elders and moving in that direction. Um, I feel like there were some mistakes that I made, although in God's providence, um, through, you know, through the work of the Holy Spirit, he, he worked it out well. And, and I just, but in looking back, you know, you have the training on how to plan a church, you have the training on how to reach people, and what the worship service should look like. And I think there was a big hole, at least for me, in terms of that aspect of starting a church. Mm-hmm. I think one of the things that was really surprising to me, and again, because we have a pretty, a pretty secular context and, and, and pretty skeptical people in general. One of the things I, I, I don't think we talk enough about is that in our, in our current cultural moment where we're kind of reckoning with the abuses of power, that our very system is designed to mitigate against that. <laughs> right. You know, to um, particularization, another way to say it is the peaceful transfer of power. You know, sure. that it's not, it's not all in the hands of one person. It's meant to be shared. Um, I'm really influenced by, uh, I, I mentioned it earlier, Playing God by Andy Krauss, where he talks about the two ways God created in the beginning. There was, there was let there be creation, and then there was let us make creation. So let there be was like this one-sided, let there be light, and there is, you know, this, you know, this um, single force of power. And then when he comes to make humanity says let us make and and talks about that's that's an important process for any church i feel like a lot of church planters are let there be like let's we're going to create something out of nothing right but you're supposed to get to let us make and and the sense of shared power our people were like wow like these people got to be tested and vetted and i don't know I, i think our people were just really encouraged that we put that much thought and care into who we put in positions of power and that it is shared so that yeah. one person doesn't abuse it, you know? Yeah. The, the longer, the longer that I do this and the more I look at, you know, even looking at the broader evangelical landscape, you see so many abuses of power and church planting often sadly can become a cult of personality in terms of who the church planter is and as a you know you've got to guard against that you have to put those shepherding elders in place that walk alongside the the church planter and and provide accountability and leadership and um guardrails if you will and in a very loving 
in biblical fashion. Uh, band of brothers, is, I love that terminology. Um, and, you know, I think that it's also significant in the fact in training shepherding elders who are going to lead your church. I think the quiet, you know, the secret that church planters have amongst ourselves is, in many cases, we know that we're not going to be at the plant for the rest of our life. And you have to have men in place who are going to, as Matt, as you said earlier in the podcast, help propel that church plant beyond the first generation. They're, they're going to set the course for generations to come. And um, really, I was young when I planted my first church, and I look back on it, and, you know, again, caveat, it did work out well, but I was thinking squarely in terms of they need to know Robert's rules, they need to know the confession, they need to know the BCO, and now I look back on it, and if I had, I would, you know, if I could do it over, I would spend my time on what does it mean to be a shepherd, what it, does it mean to to walk alongside the pastor what does it mean to lead well and 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 we'll get to the confession and the doctrine and all that which is very important but you know let's begin with what does it mean to shepherd yeah matt i was thinking about your church coming through particularization uh in light of kind of everything that's happening with the shutdown and covid and uh you know, you talk about spending all this time with these men for nine months. It seems like we have a process that we go through, you know, a structure, a syllabus, as you put it. But at the end of the day, you probably see the character come out uh, through more difficulty, setback kind of things, right? I imagine there's, you know, your church wasn't perfectly, you know, in unity, this whole process. And, and you can work through that with those men, see, see how they respond. Um, would you speak to that at all in terms of your experience? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think uh, it's been really interesting for us, the timing of this. So we were supposed to particularize in May of 2020. Uh, in fact, one of the last things we did before everything shut down is, uh, is these guys were tested by the Presbyterian oh. Committee. And, and we moved that to Zoom. That was like literally the week when everything was was going crazy and we like I had to figure out if we were even allowed to do this over zoom and I was I figured we'd just do it and ask forgiveness later <laughs> but, so yeah so we were supposed to particularize in May and then we we didn't we, we weren't even meeting in May mm. so we, we pushed it back um ended up being in October but what happened was like I had I had these men uh, we had probably probably had about 10 men that were really faithful through the training and probably about five or six that were really thinking about the call. And then we had three that were like, yeah, I feel, I feel like I'm called to this now in this congregation. And they were tested and they were ready. The only thing that was left to do was, uh, was vote on them. And then COVID hit, you know, and man, these guys just sprung in action, you know, mm -hmm. and we were quickly like developing care structures and like, here, here's your, here's your 25, 30 people keep yeah. tabs on them, call them, pray for them. You know, like it was stuff we would have done anyway, I think, but because of the, the crucible of, of a global pandemic, like these guys just sprung into action. And honestly, it was really, they got to, they, they had been elders before they were ordained, 
they had been functioning like it, but especially in that interim period, they, um, they just embodied it. And so um, in, in unprecedented ways, as we were trying to figure out how do we connect, stay connected and care for each other amidst a global pandemic. And so it was really confirming actually to, that these were the right guys. Yeah, no, that's great. I mean, I think that the slowness of the process allows, you know, hopefully not everybody has to shut down for four months while they're trying to particularize. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, some, something significant happened to really kind of put you through the crucible of how are these people are going to, going to respond. <laughs> yeah. So I, I don't think we'll get into the, the BCO process of particularization, but we've hit on it enough in terms of, you know, there's the training, there's interviews at the presbytery level. Eventually the congregation has to vote on who they want to be the elders and then they're installed and your church moves into the glorious designation of particularized congregation in the Presbyterian Church in America. But uh, I'm sure some of our listeners hey, aren't hey, in the John, PCA. Let's, so. let's, let's not also forget, because people, I've noticed congregations or core groups and church plants across the country find this quite interesting and funny, but they had to vote on Matt to be their pastor also. Yeah, that's the, that's the funny, awkward thing is you're, you're called as a church planner by the Presbytery or your mother church or something. And then particularization, the church has to decide whether they want you to be their pastor. Yeah. Was that awkward at all? Did you make some funny jokes about that, Matt? Did they uh, give you a hard time? Yeah, of course. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, I, I'd like to keep being your pastor, but you know, you gotta, you gotta, you gotta say so. Uh, yeah, that was great. And I honestly, I was really proud of our, we have, we have a pretty diverse congregation in terms of um, politics and, and, those sorts of things. And so like the vetting process was really good. Um, mm. we, we took, we took each candidate, uh, to each community group and let each community group kind of ask them questions. And, wow. and it was really good. Like the questions they got, uh, and that was really confirming too, to see the way they navigated that. And they, they got some pretty tough questions. And uh, so Matt, how many, how many elders did you begin with? We have three. Okay. Yeah. That's great. Well, we're coming to the end here, Matt. Uh, you know, I've heard a rumor you like to party in your church or something, celebrate. So I'd just be curious to end here. How did you celebrate it? I mean, it's probably a little awkward with the COVID stuff, but yeah. what did it look like? You know, you did this, you have this, you know, you know, official thing. What do you, what do you paint the picture? How do you have a party? Yeah, man, you got to celebrate. You got to celebrate these milestones, especially in, in the church. And so, that's really why we didn't do it in May because we, we could have done it, you know, we could have done it over zoom or something. And I was just like, I, I can't, it's uh, I, we need something more worthy of, um, of this moment, you know, mm. and so we waited till October. Turns out October wasn't all, you know, it was better, <laughs> <laughs> but it wasn't definitely wasn't post pandemic yet, but it was um, so we, we have a history. We started on October 1st, 2017. And so the first Sunday in October every year, we celebrate our birthday and we throw, we throw a party. And so this was our third birthday. So we particularized on October 4th. So it was our third birthday party. And uh, so we, we have a service that most people attended. It was, well, we attempted to live stream it, but we couldn't figure it out yet. Um, and then we went to, a, there's a park right across the street from the church and we went over there and had 
coolers of drinks and uh, cupcakes and donuts, you know, just just went outside and and celebrated together, which was which is great. So yeah, I'm a I'm a big proponent of like we got to celebrate, we got to feast when when the time is right. We we lament, we weep when it's time to weep, and we rejoice when it's time to rejoice. And so it was. Uh, I if you can throw a party yeah. to, to mark that time. No, that's uh, I think that's something we fail to do well is celebrate. And uh, I was actually just preaching through Malachi, and the tithe came up. And as I was researching the tithe, I said, this is actually a forced party every year. You come <laughs> and you have this feast because you're so you're thankful, rejoicing what the Lord's provided and uh, and having that be part of the church's uh, worship and celebration and giving thanks to the Lord. I mean, awesome. Glad you guys could do that. Uh, excited that you're established there. Looking forward to, hey, we'll have you on when you multiply for our next phase, maybe, huh? You plant your next daughter church. Uh, but thanks for coming on. Appreciate hearing from you. And uh, if you want to pray for Matt's church, it's uh, Resurrection Madison. It's the best name. You can come up. Resurrection Church is the name. You want to name every church plant. Um, Hunter, I don't know why you didn't go with Resurrection, but uh, yeah, uh, you can check them out on, on their website. Sounds like you guys are still being supported outside. If you want to support what they're doing, get on there. I know that they have a campus minister at the uh, at the university in Wisconsin there. So if you want to help out with the university reformed university fellowship, um, you know, I'm sure you can find that as well and uh, be praying for them and their outreach as they continue to be a faithful witness to the gospel. Wonderful. Thanks for having me, man. That's the last word for now. This episode was sponsored by Auxilio Partners, providing the business management and technology expertise your church needs. Find out more at auxilio.partners slash five points. And hey, Matt mentioned that he and Resurrection Church are using Auxilio in Wisconsin. You should definitely check them out. You can reach us with comments or questions on Twitter and Facebook at Five Points Planting or by email at Five Points Church Planting at gmail.com. That's the number Five Points Church Planting. See you all next time.